conversations about sex work in the media are rarely honest about all the complexities. They typically only talk about the dangers or only talk about the glamour. But actually, it's way more complicated. My name is Sarah Daniel, and I'm the founder and director of Unconditional, a nonprofit for women who work in the sex industry. We exist to be the bridge between the church and sex workers. We bring gifts to local strip clubs and begin life-transforming friendships. We say life-transforming because when a church lady and a stripper become best friends, both of their lives and stereotypes of each other are forced to transform. We also help connect women to unique resources and provide wraparound support. If you're in sex work and need assistance, it can be really difficult to find a service provider that won't judge you and can understand the unique challenges you may face. Over the past six years of running Unconditional, I've realized just how little the general population understands about the sex industry. I know because I was completely clueless at the beginning. We're starting this podcast to give an opportunity and platform for our friends to share about issues that are important to them and their work. Our hope is that when you're finished listening, you can understand that sex workers are just people, just like you and me. We know that this topic can cause some strong reactions and opinions and you probably won't agree with what every guest has to say. And if you're a sex worker, your experience in this occupation may be very different from what you hear. I encourage you to keep listening. We will have a variety of viewpoints, perspectives, and experiences represented throughout the show. We wanna represent the diversity of this industry as every person has their own story. And as we know, it can be really complicated. In order to protect our guests from any repercussions of participating in this podcast, all names have been changed. Identifying information of clubs or other people mentioned in this podcast have been censored out. Due to the subject matter, viewer discretion is advised. Well, welcome to this episode of It's Complicated. We have my friend Maddie here with us today. Um, who's going to be talking a little bit about the particular um, risks and uh, obstacles that the LGBTQ community um, experiences in sex work and particularly violence that happens against trans workers um, and what we can do about that as service providers, how we can um, come alongside and be good allies and, and help keep people safe and keep people from dying and um yeah just being respectful along the way as well and i think this is a particularly particularly (laughs) whatever (laughs) i think it's a very important topic especially for people in the faith community um and that we need to be listening to people and um respecting their experiences and their realities so welcome thank Um, you do you mind sharing just a little bit about yourself maybe your background and um, where you found yourself in the industry and yeah. Sure. Um, so, um, I'm Maddie. Um, I, uh, I started in sex work probably, I believe I was 15 or 16 years old. Um, I had a, uh, a boyfriend who, um, had suggested once that we, he was like, you know, we could, we could be having sex with these older men and Mm. and they would pay us and I was very excited about that you know it's free money that I could be spending on weed or McDonald's or whatever um and so we would we would sleep with older men he would set it up um 
and uh, he would take the majority of the money, and I was I was thinking, you know, we're making twenty dollars, mm-hmm. um, but really we're making like two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then eventually he introduced me to this older man, this one specific older man, who um, uh, started abusing the both of us. Um, mentally, physically, emotionally, over a long period of time. Um, and eventually I was trapped by that older man at his home mm-hmm. um, for a long period of time, and I would be forced to um, sleep with other older men mm-hmm. um, that he would bring over, and he would keep all, he would like charge and keep the money. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I guess that's being trafficked. Yeah. I mean, if I heard that about somebody else, I would call it trafficking. Yeah. It's kind of difficult to say, mm-hmm. like, I was sex trafficked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a really important thing for people to realize, sure. too, is, like, it's not... That's, that's not an easy thing to, to say about your experience. Sure. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I got out of there... Um, I moved to Louisiana. I had been living in northern Indiana in the South Bend area. Okay. Um, and, you know, I was really poor, and um, I had this experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew how to access those places. Um, most of my... Sorry, sorry. I thought I was going to sneeze. <laughs> it's okay. It's not going to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um most of my experience at that point had been on the internet, um, okay. Craigslist. This was, you know, pre-Sesta Fosta. Um, so I was using, like, Craigslist personals. Um, there were some, like, gay-specific websites that mm-hmm. weren't... That were, like, specifically targeted at, like, gay men. Okay. Um, gay cis men. And uh, they were, like, Adam for Adam, Manhunt. And they were ostensibly for, like, hooking up. But mm-hmm. really, they were used for work. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I would find men on there, you know, pay my rent in a day. And when you're 18 and you don't have a degree, right, um, it's very appealing. I would oh, think certainly. I don't. I don't think I had a high school diploma at the time either. So that okay. was like valuable. Um, and I continued doing sex work on and off. You know, relationships change things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, eventually, I. Um, you know, I moved into, uh, I worked as a go-go boy for a while. Um, what is a go-go boy? A go-go boy is kind of like a stripper, okay. essentially. But you just start with, like, less clothes. Okay. <laughs> Basically, you're just, like, on a box, um, wearing really tiny shorts or underwear. Okay. And usually large shoes for some reason. I guess is, that's, like, that's across the, the board. <laughs> I don't... I want to do, like, research on how, like, the stripper shoe became a staple. That's so interesting. It's like, because school, uh, schools, wow, clubs, <laughs> just clubs still have a, like, shoe height minimum. minimum. Really? Yeah, like, usually oh. it's, like, at least six inches. That's wild. I didn't yeah, know that. so I didn't know it was also for men, Well, too. they weren't, like, heels. They're, like, those big Platform. sneakers oh, okay. that have the large, like, tongues of okay. them, like, flipped out. That's just, like, the look. Maybe it's changed since the 2000s. I don't know. Um, <laughs> now, was this at, like, a club or, like, private parties? It was, at, uh, it was at a club. Um, okay. And that was in Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay. Um, and uh, it didn't... Um, it, that one didn't last very long. I did... Uh, um, 
I did some like private parties or whatever mm-hmm. for a while. Um, some of them for women. Okay. Um, like hen parties or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, just like showing. You see it on TV, like yeah, like I'm Abraham Lincoln and, or what you know, <laughs> yeah, some sort yeah. of historical I'm figure glad that's or character. Women's fantasy is sure. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. What's the difference between <laughs> women and women. <laughs> it's he's not a, funny. It's he's a funny. strong male figure. I with guess. The beard, I guess. <laughs> Um, and, uh, then I, I did do some street-based sex work for a while. Um, I was also in active use at the time. I was using IV drugs, um, Mm -hmm. really any drugs, but, Mm -hmm. um, particularly like speed of any kind. So like cocaine, meth, um, Molly, if I could afford it, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I was never, um, let me take that back. I was housing insecure for a while when I was, um, 18 and then again for a while when I was in my early twenties. Okay. Um, but I was never like, I have nothing. I'm sleeping on the street. It was like, I live in my car for a month or Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. Um, Which I think sometimes that's a misconception on like what homelessness or housing insecure is. Like people all think it's like, oh, you're sleeping on a park bench, but it's like sleeping in your car, couch surfing. Sure. Going from motel to motel, you know, mm-hmm. not having a place where you're like, I know at the end of the day, like, I can go home. Exactly. And, yeah. And feel secure for a large amount of time. Right. You know, so. Um, and then I believe I was 23, 22 or 23 when I decided um, to get out of the industry. And it wasn't like a, a conscious decision that I mm-hmm. made. Like, I'm going to stop doing sex work today. Um, I just had a, you know, I had met a boyfriend, um, who eventually became my husband and Mm -hmm. then eventually became my ex-husband. Um, but, um, I just, you know, I was in a better place. I was more financially stable. I had, um, a, you know, I'd gotten my diploma, um, and I just didn't really feel the need. And then Sesta Fosta happened. Mm-hmm. And the only real option to do that sex work would be like on the street mm-hmm. or grinder. Yeah. Um, Especially as a trans person, mm-hmm. there's not, there's no male strip clubs in Indianapolis. Exactly. Yeah. And there's, I've never seen a trans person working at a club in Indy no. that I know of. I don't think a trans woman would feel safe yeah. working at a sex club in Indy. I, I don't think so either. Even someone who had had, um, you know, a full, um, who, not a full, but who had, um, decided they wanted to undergo, mm-hmm. um, a, a, I think it's called a vagioplasty. I can okay. never remember the okay. specific medical term, but, um, I think a lot of the danger for them, you know, is, uh, in Indiana, you know, there's still, um, a, a gay and a trans panic defense law. Yeah. Can you explain what that is? Sure. Cause I didn't even know about that until I met you. Yeah. It's, um, a horrifying nightmare actually. Yeah. Um, if you say, um, if a gay man hits on a straight man at the mm-hmm. bar and the straight man is upset about that. Mm-hmm. The straight man can murder that gay man mm-hmm. and say, "Well, I was being hit on by a gay man. I panicked, and that's a legally defensible um, position to take in court." Wow. The same thing with trans people. Say mm-hmm. a, a cisgendered heterosexual man sleeps with a trans woman, mm-hmm. um, and then later discovers that she is transgender, or 
you know, knew she was transgender the whole time and mm-hmm. then just, like, has a moment about it and mm-hmm. freaks out, he can kill her, and that's legally defensible as trans panic in court in Indiana. Wow. Do you know when the last time that was used in court? You know, off the top of my head, I don't. Um, I know that it's been used in other states, um, and I believe in the case of Matthew Shepard's killers mm-hmm. in the 90s. Right. They used that defense. Yeah. Um, and it was like later discovered that he hadn't been hitting on them. Something I, I'm not the authority, mm-hmm. but um, I know it's been used on multiple occasions. And a lot of more um, leftist states have started outlawing that defense. I know New York did earlier mm-hmm. this year. California yeah. did, I believe, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's insane. You yeah. Know? Like, well, I mean, like, <laughs> can you imagine if a woman used that defense in court of like, well, I killed this guy because he was hitting on me. Sure. Nobody would be like, right. yeah. I mean, there, I, there, I can't even go into all that, but I mean, I wouldn't be mad about it. But like, <laughs> and when I heard that, I'm just like, like that's, I mean, every day of your life as a woman, you're getting hit sure. on by people you don't want to be hitting on you. Like, exactly. can I panic? Like I just, I was at Kroger on Linwood the other day and guy just comes up to me and goes, Ooh, you married or taken? I was like, married. <laughs> just like ran away. He's like, he know he lucky. And I was like, okay, but I, can, I couldn't kill him. I just can't imagine the fragility yeah. that it takes. This person hit on me. Therefore I need to murder them. Yeah. Like, if I murdered every person that I had unwanted advances from, right, I would just this pile of bodies, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, um, I was at Greg's the other night, and mm-hmm. um, which is a, a gay bar in downtown mm-hmm. Indianapolis, and uh, some strange drunk man just grabbed my ass and like winked at me, and like, you know, I was annoyed about it. I told yeah. my boyfriend, "Hey, this guy grabbed my ass," and he mm-hmm. was like don't grab people's asses to that guy and that was the end of it you know but if i i can't imagine being so concerned over my own and insecure about my own sexuality that i felt the need to murder someone right yeah i mean i think we can all i mean there's a variety of moral stances and beliefs in america but i think we can all be on the same page that like Maybe don't murder people right for hitting on you exactly i think that's fair i think that's you know I think we can all agree sure. on that, Absolutely. you know, especially here on the 4th of July today, Independence <laughs> <laughs> Day. Um, yeah, that's, that's wild. And I, I was horrified when you told me about that law. Cause I, and I like Googled it when I got home. It's so, like, I believed you. It was like, that can't. They, sure. Yeah. That, that, you don't want to believe that. That can't be right. Mm-hmm. And then I, yeah, now I've been like telling everybody like, do you know this is a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for sharing about about that and to, to touch on that i think that's a um a problem that a lot of that we experience on a lot of issues in mm-hmm. the lgbtqia community um there's you know when i tell people if my landlord if my apartment complex decided he didn't like trans people or gay people he could just kick me out and they're like mm-hmm. that's not the case mm-hmm. and i'm like no but it is there's mm-hmm. no federal law that protects um gender identity or sexual orientation Mm. on any level apart from Oberfell, the gay marriage ruling. Mm -hmm. Um, My bank could decide they didn't want to have a credit card account for me anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, My job could fire me because they Mm -hmm. didn't want to hire trans people. And Mm -hmm. in Indiana, all of that is totally legal. legal. Mm -hmm. Um, The the city of Indianapolis specifically has um, uh, 
anti-discrimination laws, but say you're mm-hmm. in Carmel mm-hmm. or say you're in Brownsburg, mm-hmm. God forbid. <laughs> Isn't that where you live? Not anymore. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I thought you lived in Brownsburg. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I, you know, I have these conversations with people and tell them these things and they're like, no, of course not. Mm-hmm. Um and you have to be like, well, yeah. And they don't, they mm-hmm. almost don't believe you. And, yeah. And in today's age, you can pull out your phone and say, well, here are some facts about it. Mm-hmm. And there's a 50, 50 chance they're going to say fake news. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So how yeah. do you communicate these things to people? How mm-hmm. do you, um, show them these inconsistencies in the law mm-hmm. and like prove that there's a problem when mm-hmm. you can't even like convince people to acknowledge that you're being discriminated right. against. Yeah. That's what's so scary about um, right now as a time when we have to question basic facts. You mm-hmm. know, is this real right. or not? You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, for sure. That's a really good point. Um, with what you're saying about some of the, like, the job things and then, you know, we've seen, I mean, America has changed a lot in the last... 15 years so when you were early on in the industry do you feel like that there's higher chance of people trans people um and gay people ending up in the sex industry because of lack of other options do you feel like that plays into it can you talk about that a little bit yeah so um if you look at the the statistics for um youth specifically Mm -hmm. because most people tend to get into sex work as young people Mm -hmm. Um, there's a a very high percentage of kids that come out as, um, queer, identified at all, so trans, Mm -hmm. gay, pan, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, that get kicked out of their parents' homes. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you're underage, you know, you can't get an Mm -hmm. apartment, you can't get a job, um, and a lot of times those kids turn to sex work. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the chance of being queer and homeless and underage and a sex worker is if all of those things line up at the same time the Mm -hmm. chances of violence and um you know those issues exacerbating other issues in your Mm -hmm. life mental health Mm -hmm. um addiction Mm -hmm. it, it just skyrockets it's like perfect storm exactly yeah and I think, and you know, if you look at the statistics just specifically on addiction, mm-hmm. um, in the queer community, the chances of being addicted to drugs are astronomically higher. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a lot of um, discussion as to why that is. Right. There's not like a solid reason. But I would, my personal opinion is, you know, you're um, you're looking for validation. Mm-hmm. From, you might not be getting it from your family or your friends or your um, your faith um, organizations. And uh, you find that in mm-hmm. drugs and other people who use drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, when you're on drugs, I think it's easier. Of course, you know, there's a lot of crossover between people who are in addiction and people who are in sex work. And right. those things feed each other, I think, right. in a lot of cases. A lot um, of times when people get sober, they end up getting out of sex work because exactly. they can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Not the case for everybody, but that's what I've experienced with a lot of my friends once they've are in their 30s and kind of in sobriety, then it's like, I can't do this without something numbing me. Oh, absolutely. Anymore. Yeah. Um, so, um, so with the higher risk of ending up in sex work or, or even in sexual exploitation or in sex trafficking, um, if someone is in that situation, they want out and they want help. Can you talk about the specific obstacles you, you face if you're in the LGBTQA 
I don't know if I included all the letters. <laughs> I feel it's, like it's different all the time. It truly Sorry. is. I think this month it's LGBTQIA. <laughs> this, this month? <laughs> okay, I might just say the community for the rest sure. of this podcast. Yeah. This is what we're talking about. You can say queer people. That's what okay, I usually cool. say. I'll do that then. Um, uh-huh. Thank you for your grace. No problem. <laughs> Um, so do you think, can you talk about the obstacles of getting services for people who are in the queer community, um, especially in like sex work? Yeah. So, um, I think that most of the, and you know, I think this is a problem that might be specific to smaller cities or the Midwest or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, or just really just places that aren't the coasts. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that a lot of services that are for sex workers are specifically geared towards, cisgendered women mm-hmm. um and oftentimes cisgendered white women mm-hmm. um and uh so you don't have those very basic resources that you can mm-hmm. reach out to you know mm-hmm. and even if they're like well sure come on they might mm-hmm. not be equipped to handle all of the problems that right. queer people might be facing right i mean i know um, we're not equipped for that yeah um i mean like i was telling you before the show you know we want to be inclusive in um equip 360 but mm-hmm. i definitely am not equipped to understand all the complexities um, sure. that trans women face and they're tons mm-hmm. um i think that in go in dealing with law enforcement um <clears throat> you know a lot of historically the issues have been it was illegal to be transgender you know mm-hmm. it was illegal to dress as a woman if you weren't a woman to mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases, in some places, to be gay, period. And even if it's not illegal, there's a big difference between, like, it not being illegal and being taken seriously. You right. You know what I mean? So you go to the police and they they think you're just a man in a dress. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, why don't you, like, punch dude back? You're a man. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not a lot of help from law enforcement. There's not a lot of resources that are available um, from organizations that want to help, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, um, I think that the same sort of, like, grace is not extended to queer people, because a lot of people see, um, a lot of people, I think, specifically in the faith community, see, like, sex work as an extension of being queer rather Mm. than like something that queer people are forced to do because of you do you know what i mean yeah in the same way that like they see um pedophilia Mm -hmm. as an extension of being queer Mm -hmm. um like you're gay therefore you want to have sex with my child Mm -hmm. or you're gay therefore you want to have sex for money or you're Mm -hmm. gay therefore you want to do drugs Mm -hmm. um and when you see it rather th- it has to be seen rather than as an extension, but as a um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not consequence, but a something that these queer people are driven to do because of that very circumstance. Exactly, the yeah. circumstance that is created by that lack mm-hmm. of acceptance. Yeah, and I mean that's something I talk to our team a lot about is that typically three reason people are in the sex industry and that's choice circumstance or coercion sure yeah and it sounds like from what you're saying for a lot of the queer community a lot of it can be circumstance certainly um can you talk about in particular um something i've heard a lot about recently is the issue of if you are in the queer community and let's say you've you've been trafficked um or 
outside of sex work, you're just homeless. And he's talking about the obstacles of finding housing and like a safe place to recover um, if you need help or things Mm -hmm. like that. So um, my nonprofit gets a lot of people coming to us asking for help finding housing. Can you share what your nonprofit is? Sure, yeah. (laughs) Let me hawk myself. Um, (laughs) I'm the executive director of a nonprofit called Queering Indy. We're based in Indianapolis, Indiana. We service the LGBTQIA community of the greater Indianapolis area. And we specifically focus on raising up the voices of queer people of color and trans people as well. Um, we do a lot of like sober events in the community. Um, we are moving into broader programmings for, um, specific identities. Like if you're bisexual and you want to play board games or, you know, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, we, uh, are working on a podcast of our own soon to be announced. Nice. Um, we, uh are in the process of building some grants in partnership with our fiscal sponsor, the Never Alone Project, to work on harm reduction surrounding active use Mm -hmm. within the queer community. So making sure we have, our community has access to like Narcan, Mm -hmm. um, making sure that we uh, are, for people that are in active use, that they're using safely. Yeah. um, And so that they can live with dignity and whatever Mm -hmm. they're doing. Um, And we're also doing some outreach to sex workers, um, housing insecure people, just trying to access people who are at this, um, who are on that access Mm -hmm. of uh, queerness and Mm -hmm. other marginalized populations. Yeah. but we, we, in doing that, we talk to a lot of people who are housing insecure, um, and uh, I think that accessing the services for people who are specifically housing insecure and queer can be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at the yeah. um, and uh, they'll allow trans people, okay. but you have to... Um, there's all sorts of requirements. So people think, like, you're homeless, therefore you're outside, therefore you can go to a shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to access a lot of these resources, you have to have slept in a homeless shelter at least one night. Mm-hmm. Homeless shelters are classically dangerous for queer people, you know. Mm-hmm. So you go in, and you spend the night, <clears throat> and then the next day um, you go to find other resources, but you've had the shit beat out of you mm-hmm. and you're tired and you didn't get any sleep you know mm-hmm. um can you talk about a little bit why there is more violence in homeless shelters sure for trans people um you know part of passing um mm-hmm. as a trans person and that means being able to like move through the world say you're a trans woman mm-hmm. that means you're moving through the world in such a way that people who are not familiar with the community don't realize that you're trans yeah um, that's a privilege that not everybody has. Yeah. Not everybody has the body type to have and not everybody has the money to have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're housing insecure, you don't have access to maybe, um, uh, a razor and shaving cream, mm-hmm. um, or the money to get laser hair removal. You mm-hmm. might have a five o'clock shadow mm-hmm. the next day. And, um, everyone in that shelter is going to say, this is a man in a dress. Why is he with mm-hmm. the women mm-hmm. and he's going to be ostr- she's going to be ostracized by the women mm-hmm. um, and she's going to be beat up by the men you know um, say you're a trans man <clears throat> and um, 
you don't have money to afford a binder, mm -hmm. which is a specialized uh, piece of clothing that allows uh, trans men to push their breasts down okay. and have like a flat chest. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to say this is a, a, a dude with boobs mm -hmm. and potentially there's going to be sexual violence involved mm -hmm. there, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so that ability to pass, I think, is difficult for a lot of people who are housing insecure and mm -hmm. financially insecure as well. What can shelters do to protect pe trans people that are staying there from violence? In my opinion, every shelter needs to have a queer-specific separate area. area. Okay. Um, and that's just my feeling. Okay. Um, Is there, like, disagreement among that in the queer community? or? Um, I think that... It, no, not really. Okay. I, some people think that you know, there needs to be separate, we need to build our own housing mm -hmm. that doesn't have anything to do with these other shelters that's generally not faith-based mm -hmm. um, and and give space uh, specifically for housing and secure queer people. And there is in Indianapolis um, a transitional home that was just recently, that's about to open. Trinity Haven? Correct. Okay. But that yeah. is specifically for queer youth. Right. Um, which is great, and we right. need that. Yeah. All the services for Especially the for babies. everything you were talking about before. Sure. Yeah. But that only houses 10 people, I believe. Yeah. Um, and it's a great start. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, Jenny White, uh, their executive director, is an absolute wonderful person who is mm -hmm. doing absolutely everything she can and mm -hmm. I think absolutely the world of her mm -hmm. um, and uh, we need more Trinity Havens and we need more Jenny Whites in the world who mm -hmm. want to build these services yeah. um, because you know I've, I've spoken with other people who are working with the housing and secure community specifically queer youth and they're like we could fill that up in five seconds yeah. CBS could fill it up and too, you mm -hmm. know, um, yeah. so we need more spaces like that, and then that still leaves this huge gap for um, housing insecure queer adults. Right. Um, most of the shelters won't take queer people, um, particularly if they're trans, mm -hmm. um, and if they do, it's there's violence and mm -hmm. they're difficult to deal with. Um, mm -hmm. So, I. I, my hope is to see some sort of adult queer specific housing mm -hmm. in Indianapolis within the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be a really good start. Like you were saying, having like specific area at the shelters that are already existing. Sure. Um, yeah. The the housing for <sighs> anyone who's not in social work or in the nonprofit world, housing in Indianapolis right now is a mess. Oh, truly. Is. <laughs> like for <laughs> yeah. everybody. Mm -hmm. Like it's, and I think like once you get into social work or nonprofit work, you realize how messy it is. Like mm -hmm. if you have an eviction or a felony, mm -hmm. then like your opportunity to get section A is, you know, slashed and just mm -hmm. all these things where I feel like if you're not in the thick of it and you're like, Well, why don't people just go to the shelter? Right. Well also, you know, I've had cisgendered women that are in violent situations and I'm in the middle of the summer, not even in the winter when it's mm -hmm. cold, I'm calling places trying to find them like domestic violence or mm -hmm. for trafficking and everywhere I call is full. Yeah. And it's like in the middle of the afternoon, in the middle of the summer. Mm -hmm. I remember one time I was trying to call for a girl who was pregnant and had a child mm -hmm. and was like 19 and I, I couldn't find anywhere for her to go. Which is <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it's like, then if you break it down to people who are more marginalized, mm -hmm. then there's definitely not going to be anything. Certainly. And so 
yeah, I I really hope our, our housing situation gets figured out, but I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Well, and, you know, that's why we have to look at the, like, the root systemic causes mm-hmm. of why these people are housing insecure in the first place. If, mm-hmm. um, you know, people made, if, if people made more money, you mm-hmm. know, if wages were higher, if, um... There people were, didn't kick their teenagers out sure, of their Sure, if there were more social safety nets and stuff mm-hmm. like that, women wouldn't stare, people wouldn't stay with their abusers mm-hmm. um, because they would be able to afford to just leave. Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of cases, people are trapped in these situations, not just by whatever emotional ties that person has right. to them, but because of... Lack of options. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we had state-funded housing for insecure people, like many other western nations do mm-hmm. you know we could yeah. we would be able to build that sort of thing yeah but wow um yeah that's a lot of information <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was like well then everything's terrible right exactly <laughs> but happy fourth um, of july <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh um but no i think it's really important i think it's something that a lot of people don't understand and i think especially um in the faith community, I just feel like it's 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 just so important to see people as as people. Sure. And um, I mean that's something I feel like I've talked in every episode about so far is mm-hmm. like can't get caught up in um, whatever we think about people's lives. Like we we need to make sure people aren't dying. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. Like, we need to make sure that people are safe and and loved even through just having their basic needs. Mm-hmm met you know um so you you said you exited out Mm -hmm. of the industry has it been difficult um as a member of the queer community and as having a sex worker on your background has been hard to find additional work afterwards or Um, well i don't really put it on my resume i'm not well yeah but you know but like there's can be gaps in your resume and stuff like that um i tend to be pretty good at like bullshitting that myself personally um and i always had some like dumb job like that i didn't that i worked like two hours a week at or something but that's really smart and Mm -hmm. that's what i've been encouraging a lot of my friends to do it's like even if you have no plans to leave the industry Mm -hmm. is really good to work at least somewhere once a week mm-hmm. or a couple times a month so you have something on your resume exactly. so there's not a big gaping hole. And you can always... Well, I'm going to like reveal my secret so hopefully no future <laughs> employers are listening to this. But you could always say like... Um, uh, you know, motivational speaker, self-employed or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, Sales. Right. And you went and talked to your friend once and got her out of a breakup. You know, mm-hmm. like, you're a motivational speaker now. Great. Put it on your resume. Okay. That's what I always yeah. tell people. Um, and, you know, th- I have faced some stigmas in the queer community about being a sex worker. I always kind of, like, especially with dating. Like, mm. I'll say that um, on the first date. Like, hey, I used to be in sex work, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the kind of positions that I had. Is that goal with you? Because if not, like, please, let's not, like, waste each other's time. Hmm. Um, and 99% of the time, I would say it's chill for the most part. 
I've had one or two guys be like, no, I can't deal with that bi or call me mm-hmm. a whore or whatever. But oh, wow. I think it's so, like, widespread within the queer community. Mm-hmm. Like, young queer, um, particularly, like, assigned male at birth people mm-hmm. um, figure out that gross old men want to have sex with them for money when they're, like, 16, you know? Wow. So everybody... I, w- I wouldn't say everybody, but I would say a lot of people that I know, most of the assigned male at birth people I know have, like tried it at least once or twice Mm -hmm. you know or have certainly been offered on grinder yeah i think that's something people don't realize is how many older men are preying on vulnerable Mm -hmm. youth in very vulnerable situations Mm -hmm. because yeah i mean now in in indiana i think nationwide then i know for sure in indiana like if you're under 18 and you're in sex work then like you're automatically considered a victim Mm -hmm. Um, which I mean, take that word however you want, but you know what I mean? Like sure, yeah. the person at fault is the older person who mm-hmm. is preying on the situation right. and the vulnerability that's taking place. Um, and that's, to me, I'm like, that. that's an issue that there's so many older people that want to have sex with teenagers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. That's an issue. Right, that it's certainly. like, you know, when we're talking about sex work, you have to talk about like, why, why, are there so many older people mm-hmm. that are preying on young, vulnerable youth? And what can we do about that? Instead right. of like demonize and what I think the tide's changing now, but like, I mean, I remember growing up, like anyone who was promiscuous, like I remember young people having like people in high school with like having super old boyfriends and mm-hmm. you were just like, Oh, she's, you know, she's easy or she's right. a bore. And yeah. I'm like, now looking back, I'm like, she was a, a like victim, victim certainly you know and like well because i think when you're that age you think you think I, it's cool yeah. you're like oh this older i'm mature exactly that's <laughs> like they think i'm I, so mature for my age how i felt and yeah like no you're just 16 and dumb and mm-hmm. he's gross gross yeah. super gross so i was really judgmental but i think i yeah I stand by my Yeah, certainly. <laughs> I, I remember being like 15 and dating like a 35-year-old man that worked in a nuclear power plant. What? Yeah. <laughs> That's a very specific like memory. But he, um, yeah, he would like drive down from Michigan once a week and we would like go to the truck stop and have dinner and then go have sex in the Walmart parking lot. Oh my and God. And I was like, he loves me. We're really close. And... Now I look back at that and I'm like, that man was absolutely a predator. Yeah. Certainly. And probably didn't stop. Certainly. No, I, you know, I still, you know, you stalk your exes on Facebook sometimes. <laughs> and he progressively continues to have the same age boyfriend. Wow. You know, not the same person, just the same age. Yeah. All the time. Wow. And that's, I think, um, part of my hope with this podcast too is one, to humanize sex workers. Sure. So people understand these are just your normal everyday people Mm -hmm. and two to understand how um how prevalent the the buyer end of it Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. too so it's like i don't know i feel like people always come at me or that's like oh well how how big of a issue can this really be i'm like very large actually (laughs) (laughs) and yeah, and then... Like, you definitely know somebody who has either paid for sex or has been paid for sex. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you live in Carmel and mm-hmm. um, work at a Especially software startup or something. Carmel. Yeah, you know, like, you certainly know somebody, if yeah. not more than one person. Yeah, and I think it's this idea of, like, oh, it's only, like, I 
don't know. I feel like sometimes people think it's like an inner city problem. Sure, I'm like, yeah. people in, their, in the inner city, we don't, they don't have money to pay for sex. Right. <laughs> like, it's the rich folks are coming here. Right, exactly. And exploiting those communities. It's just another way that the, that class divide. Yeah. Yeah, but then what happens is then people are looking down on sex workers instead of looking at like, okay, who's, who's being victimized? Mm-hmm. Who's being... And maybe sometimes not even victimized, but like who's who's getting their situation taken advantage of by mm-hmm. someone who's in a position of power. Sure. And how do we disrupt that? Okay, I'm on a soapbox now, so I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that's really. Um, thank you for sharing that part of your story of because course. I know. Um, I don't know. I get a lot of people will ask me like women that we work with like, oh, what are their stories? What are their stories? And like, they're if if they're not ready to share, like I'm not sharing their story. Sure. Um, and sharing your story is not just this like easy nonchalant thing. Mm -hmm. So I know that a lot of what you talked about was not super easy. And, um, I just really appreciate your vulnerability with that. I, you know, um, both as like a, uh, trans person and as a, you know, former sex worker, somebody that's been in active use. Mm-hmm. Um, I recognize, I know you can't see this through podcasts, but I, I look like a white dude, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I have a lot of privilege where mm-hmm. people are more likely to listen to me when mm-hmm. I talk. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, a, a black trans woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I think that it's my responsibility having all these experiences to use that, voice that I have mm-hmm. as someone who most people perceive to be a white man mm-hmm. um, to say, hey, this is a really, you know, uh, you can murder a trans person if you are upset right. with them. Yeah. Or um, uh, Indianapolis is closing needle exchanges or, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. They like, are? Uh, it's a whole thing. They're, there's, they're not closing them. There's a problem. There's problems. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I'll, I'll get we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I would like to have an episode about addiction in the sex industry. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just think that it's, um, I, I am, I, I appreciate you giving me um, a platform to use that privilege yeah, and absolutely. to let people know what's, yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Um, so if people are wanting to specifically help or get involved with, I don't like the word help. Um, if people are wanting to support and help advocate for um, sex workers in the queer community, sure. what are some things that they can do? Um, well, you can give me money <laughs> and I can do it. Um, uh, you can support, um, in all seriousness, like you can talk to uh, organizations who specifically support queer sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm really serious about... Um, the 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 directive of nothing about us without us. Mm-hmm. So if you build, if you're like a very nice cisgendered, which I know we've been saying that this whole episode, mm-hmm. cisgendered means not transgender. Mm-hmm. So if you are assigned the gender at birth that matches the gender that you live in, mm-hmm. you are cisgendered. So if you're mm-hmm. a nice um, cisgendered white lady at home and you're like, I would really like to help queer mm-hmm. sex workers. I'm going to start a nonprofit and do that. Um, please don't because <laughs> like that we appreciate the help and we appreciate the thought. Mm-hmm. But if you build something, um, with the intention of serving a population and you don't 
ask that population how they want to be served, right? Um, you've got a real problem. Yeah. And and working and doing the work that I've um, uh, been a part of with queering indie with queer people of color, I am absolutely guilty of that myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept saying like, what programming can I build to service queer people of color in our community? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a really uh, good conversation with a friend about um, the Stonewall riots mm-hmm. having the anniversary last week mm-hmm. um, and how a queer trans organization in Indianapolis was throwing a celebratory ball mm-hmm. in honor of Stonewall. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, it's Stonewall Day. I'm just going to go to say to them, can I clean your toilets today? Can What can I do for you? You know, mm-hmm. how can I make this better for you? And mm-hmm. that really, like opened my eyes Mm -hmm. for me like I didn't want to why am I trying to build something for them without Mm -hmm. even talking to them about what they want so um, I'm trying to keep that in mind intentionally in everything Mm -hmm. that I do so if you want to help queer sex workers go talk to a queer sex worker Mm -hmm. Um, uh, did you know that was actually my first experience of meeting anyone in sex work really yeah (laughs) what was so um why i first started getting burden from conditional was um i was working on a camp in los angeles sure and we got to shadow like different ministries that are happening in the city and um there was ministry that did outreach to trans sex workers in west hollywood so they like walked the same area and just built relationships with people working Mm -hmm. and um they had a church service in the 7-eleven parking lot at like midnight with pizza and just like just like because they knew these were people that would never probably feel safe walking into a church and just helped with resources and stuff and uh yeah so like that was my very first experience that's so cool (laughs) and i just remember like sitting there and i was like this is like this is exactly where jesus would be and that's where i first like absolutely church needs to go where people are and not just wait for people to come to us especially people that don't feel safe coming into church Mm -hmm. and uh yeah so it's just i people because people ask me like oh like what got you interested in like you know strip clubs where i was like actually (laughs) and that was in 2010 so like nobody was talking about sure Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm pretty sure the word transgender wasn't even used was a different word but (laughs) truly it was (laughs) um yeah so that really opened my that was the first time it really opened my eyes because i talked to someone for a long time um that night and they just told me their whole life story of how they ended up in that situation Mm -hmm. and i was like this is not just to pull yourself up by your bootstrap situation Mm -mm. and why aren't we doing anything so mm-hmm. anyways I, I was like um yeah that was my first experience oh that's yeah. so interesting <laughs> yeah i like that that that's you know i'm not i'm not particularly religious but i do like that idea of like this is where jesus would be is in a 7-eleven parking lot at midnight talking to a bunch of trans sex workers yeah like, i 100 percent agree with that yeah i love that <laughs> so um I don't remember what we're talking about before then. Oh, talking to a queer sex worker, if you want to yeah. have queer sex workers. <clears throat> um, I mean, we're building programming for sex workers right now, mm-hmm. specifically queer ones at Queering Indie. So I'll just plug myself again. Go ahead. You can, you can find us on Facebook at Queering Indie and on Instagram at Queering Indie and on Twitter at Queering Indie. There's nothing <laughs> on our Twitter yet because I don't know how to use Twitter. But I hate Twitter. I've been to Twitter for Unconditional. So I'm like, I keep getting these emails where it's like, Unconditional Indie, we miss you. And I'm yes. Like, I've never tweeted. I'm like, leave me alone. I'm I, like, 
I really just need to get to the point where I can hire an 18 year old intern who's like Twitter. That's so old. Of course I know how to use it. It makes yeah. me feel ancient. Yeah, my little sister was helping me with our Instagram, and I was telling her like how I want to build followers and stuff. Well, she's like, well, you need to do. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, I'd love to increase our followers. She's like, oh, this is all you have to do. Da, 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 da. And, and now like, you have a million followers. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm only 30, and I well, I'll be 30 in two months. I'm like, I'm only. I'll just turn 30 and I already feel so out of touch. Truly. <laughs> but it's just, she's she's 20 and just like, oh yeah, this oh, do you use Snap? And then I'm like, I'm not using Snapchat. <laughs> Too old for that. <laughs> but a lot of people from the club try to get me to use Snapchat too. And I'm just like, like I know I don't want to navigate it. Send people a message on Snapchat, but they use it like young people, the young folks. The young folks. Which how old are you? I'm 27. (laughs) You're younger than me. (laughs) But they use it like a whole social media. Yeah. Like they and I don't. I don't know how to use it. No idea. None. (laughs) I downloaded it once because I was like. Because I had a lot of friends being like, you need to get it. So I downloaded it once and I panicked and just deleted it right away. <laughs> so if you're out there and you're like, I would love to help either Queering Indie or Unconditional with their social media. Send us a letter. <laughs> That's yes. how you get a hold of us. We need a postcard in the mail with your te- home telephone address. <laughs> None of them cell phones. Here. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we're sold. Um... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think we're almost out of time here. Let me check how long we've been going. Um, yeah, we're almost at an hour. Um, any, like, final things you want to say um, or anything else about, like, um, just your life or your experience that you want people to know about or anything? Um, I think the number th- number one thing I would say is, um, you know speaking specifically to like a faith centric audience Mm -hmm. um if you're a parent and you have queer kids um be nice to them Mm -hmm. you know like if you don't uh you know i hear a lot um or i see a lot in comment sections which you should never read um you know i don't agree with trans or Mm -hmm. i don't agree with gay Mm -hmm. um and you know 50 years ago that was i don't um, I don't like the blacks or whatever. Um, and uh, it's interesting to hear the contrast between those two sentiments because on one hand, when you're talking about um, racism, you know, you, you hear, I don't like black people. But when you hear homophobia or transphobia, you're not only saying, I don't like trans people or gay people. You're saying, I don't agree with them. I don't even acknowledge that they exist Mm -hmm. and to be a child and to have your parents say i don't believe Mm -hmm. you exist is Mm -hmm. something that you cannot take back Mm -hmm. and something that is going to hurt that person for the rest of their life and push them closer towards things like active addiction like sex work um like housing insecurity in some cases depending upon how terrible you are Mm um and uh you know, even if you have issues from where you're coming from in your faith, um, I think the most important thing is to make sure that your child is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that that, you know, 
so many, the suicide rate in the trans community is extraordinarily high. Mm-hmm. Um, and when parents are at least accepting of their kids, mm-hmm. that suicide rate is cut into a fourth of what it was, oh. I believe is the statistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so you literally are holding uh, your child's life in your hands when mm-hmm. you when they tell you that thing. You you mm-hmm. have two very specific paths that you can go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know if you're already affirming and great, fantastic. Um, and if your kid's not trans or not queer, these days they probably have a trans or queer friend mm-hmm. um, who's probably miserable mm-hmm. as a child, mm-hmm. right? Being queer right now, I can only imagine. Um, so. You know, if they're at your house and you there's one of their friends that are a little bit different, like maybe go out of your way to talk to that kid mm-hmm. and just you know if they end up coming out to you um, or you like have a few, even you know even if they don't come out they never say a word about it to you mm-hmm. you know maybe loudly mention your gay <laughs> friend from college or like, you know something <laughs> yeah. like just let them know that mm-hmm. uh, you're you're cool and you're mm-hmm. a resource. Or even just a person that will, like, give them a hug. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of... Speaking from experience, having that kind of adult in your life when you're a queer youth is absolutely mm-hmm. life-changing. Um, now, if anyone is listening who is a parent and um, has their child or youth come out to them um, and they don't know what to do, could... If people are listening, could they email me and I can connect them to you if they need yeah, someone to talk to if they don't certainly. know anybody in the sure. community? Um, and I would also specifically talk to um, PFLAG, uh, mm-hmm. Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. Um, and, I mean, it's an old name, but they're they're still, uh, they're cool with trans people and mm-hmm. stuff too. Um, but uh, they're an invaluable resource for parents who are struggling with that. They have support mm-hmm. groups, they have online, mm-hmm. you know resources stuff mm-hmm. like that i would absolutely reach out to them as well but you know if you would rather talk to just like one person who's been through it or you like the the dulcet tones of my voice um, <laughs> which you are a very easy person to talk to well thank I you i appreciate you. that <laughs> yeah i feel like the first time we met i was like i think i'm a little obsessed with them yeah but... <laughs> <I love> that. <laughs> i'm building my brand <laughs> yeah you, you, i like your brand thank you <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever watch Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Of course, yeah. Absolutely. I love that Titus is always talking about his brand. Yes, same. <laughs> this doesn't really fit in with my messaging. He's like, that's not my brand. <laughs> anyway, it's my dream friend. Jaws, uh, I know I'd hate him in real life because he's so selfish. <laughs> Certainly. But I'm a little obsessed. Anyway, um, it's not a plug for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Netflix isn't paying us anything. <laughs> no. But if they're listening, they want to send a check sure, certainly. to two nonprofits. <laughs> we would love that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And I, I thank you again for sharing. And I just want to say, too, um, like, just what I say with the faith community, with sex workers and any, like, marginalized group, is that the, the, the best baseline to start with as you're figuring out things in your faith or whatever is that everyone, in my opinion, is made in God's image and our image bearers of God and to treat people accordingly sure and to to love people where they're at unconditionally but you know and just to to be kind to people because also like you just you, you never know people's story I didn't know all of your story yeah. you know and um anyway really appreciate your vulnerability with us of course. um and so if anyone 
um, needs resources, um, then feel free to reach out to us. Um, our email is info at unconditionalministries.com. Um, if you are a sex worker in the queer community and, and you want to connect with someone who, who has been there and understands the unique obstacles, um, cause I mean, I, I was the cisgendered white lady who wasn't a sex worker who started an organization sure. for yeah. sex workers, <laughs> but one thing we really, um, hold as a high value is to listen to sex workers, um, sure. and, so one, if you're listening to this and you've had interactions with us and there's ever anything that you, um, any feedback you want to give us, I'm always open to that. Um, but second of all, if you are wanting to connect with a queer sex worker, then reach out to Queering Indie. Sure. Um, um, you can reach us on Facebook and Instagram, or um, if you want to talk to me directly, my email is maddie, M-A-T-T-Y, at theneveralonproject.org. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode of It's Complicated. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.